welcome back to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. Really happy to have my good friend Bob Sullivan on. Bob and I have known each other for, for many years. He is the Chief Admin Officer, Senior Vice President and Chief Admin Officer for One Sky Aviation, which is a part of directional aviation and the parent company of FlexJet, Sentient Jet. You've got Constant Aviation in there. Um, you guys are growing like crazy. Yeah, we keep buying brands. <laughs> you're, you're, all the press releases you're sending out are wearing me out, Bob. So it's, yeah. all, it's, all, it's all good news. Well, I'll tell you what Ken, Ken always says, uh, you know, the genius behind this whole thing. He says, we we work this year, we take next year off. So uh, I always look for that same conversation at the end of the year. It's not this year that we're taking off, but it'll be free, soon. Free beer tomorrow. That's right. That's free beer. right. <laughs> well, look, it's been an it's been an incredibly exciting time for us. I mean, we've had we've had a really, really interesting year as the whole industry has. And we've seen a lot of change, a lot of momentum shift, both in the pilot workforce, the maintenance scope, which I'm happy to chat with you about some of our acquisitions and growth there. We've had some um, leadership structure changes, which are exciting for us, but all incredibly in the, the right direction, the positive path. Yeah, no, you got look, it's 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 good stuff. So let's let's talk about yeah, you know, let's talk about pilots right off okay. the bat. I mean, you guys just made a big announcement, a couple big announcements with regards to your pilots. Yeah. Increase in pay, but and also an increase in pay comes with you doubled the minimums. Yeah. So, you know, less than three thousand hours isn't gonna get a look at. That's a great observation because we had been looking at this for a little over a year now and really trying to dissect what it takes to be a successful career destination. We've always considered ourselves the employer of choice. I mean, we're a 20-time winner of North Coast 99, which recognizes companies for their HR practices. And we're very excited about who we are as a company. But to really look at or reevaluate through the lens of how do you stay a career destination? Because when we make decisions about our employees, we really make it on... Uh, a trifold front. The first is we want to be able to recruit the best talent out there, bring the best people in, the best players into the organization, and whether it's pilots or mechanics or any other role within the organization, how do we get the best people out there? And we spend so much time on the technical competencies of a pilot or a mechanic or any of the other roles that we do in the organization. But I'd argue that one of the things I'm most proud of is how much time we spend on the cultural fit, the mm -hmm. personality of the individual, because our business is so incredibly unique that we've got to have the right cultural fit within our mm -hmm. organization. So recruiting those people becomes a priority. The second step in the trifold is the one that we're going to talk about the most today. And that's once they're there, how do you retain the best people? Because getting people in the door has never really been an issue for us. Keeping the people and keeping them engaged in such a tumultuously changing environment of workforce right now that is so immediate satisfaction looks at the world through such a myopic lens of one to two years. How do you get focused more on the long term? And then the other thing that we've always made our decisions from an HR standpoint is choice. The difference in choice is goes from individual to individual. And I can tell you as somebody that's been with the company now for 23 years, 
I've been amazed at the progression and the growth, the evolution of our compensation and benefits and really centered around those three things around recruiting, retaining, and giving people the choice. Because a decision that Bob Sullivan makes at 20 years old with no kids is a lot different than the decision that Bob makes. Now I'm 55 and I have a son in college. So my priorities kind of shift. So we, Craig, what we did was we took an analysis and we took all the feedback that we could out there and we really kind of reimagined how are we going to compensate and quality of life and benefits for our pilots. And as everybody was kind of turning left and going to the, we got to lower our minimums. We've got to deprioritize some of the things that are important. We've got to make it more accessible for people in the aviation arena to you know come and learn with us. As organizations were making those decisions, we kind of stood back and said, but is that really what our customers need? Is that really what we want to be known for as an organization? Do we want to be a stepping stone for the airlines? Do we want to be an organization that just churns through people? I mean, it takes a good year or two to really understand the commitment that it means to be in FlexJet and to be in that arena. Our red label distinction, as you know, is so much different than even the 135 operators out there. So as everybody's turning left and lowering their standards, what we said was, well, I think we're going to turn right. And we're not only going to increase our standards, we're going to double them. So we went from a minimum of 1,500 now hours total time to a minimum of 3,000 hours uh, total time. That creates a different engagement level. These folks have already gotten the opportunity to look at the airlines and see if that's the way they want to go. And that business is always evolving and always changing. And I'll tell you, it's going to be full of its challenges like we've seen in the past. But we also had to realize that a compensation package to attract and retain those people had to be the commitment that we we would have to give. And that was the announcement that we were most excited about was raising our starting salary, raising our compensation, starting compensation for a brand new pilot with 3000 hours joining our organization from, you know, 100, 103,000, if you will, to 170 with total compensation in first year. Then your second year, you go up to right under 200 and your year three, you go up to over 200. Those first three years, I mean, that's when we solidify who our next level leaders are going to be. In three years with our organization, you've already had the opportunity to run the line, work through a couple of peak travels, which are always the most challenging for any individual. You know this. Mm -hmm. Yourself flying into Eagles a lot different in the winter than it is in the summer. Mm -hmm. To be given the opportunity to understand our mission which is so different, so customer oriented. And then they're given the chance to go into domestic red label where it's a a cadre of three captains and they make their own schedule or international large cabin, which is the big iron, the 650, Mm -hmm. the 450s, the globals, if you will, flying internationally with five captains, again, making their own schedule. That's really where we see the bread and butter. Our, Our numbers have shown us that if we can get you here with us and stay for three years, we, we've more than likely got a, a lifelong employee. What tells me that this is all true is I'm not seeing FlexJet in the news. You know, I'm not seeing your pilots out in front of your headquarters or Ken Ricky's front door yeah. screaming, you know, unfair, unfair, unfair. And, and, and in fact, the last time you and I did a podcast, it was all about 
your pilots had overwhelmingly decertified. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think um, it, it, look, every organization has its own challenges and its own opportunities, but I think making a commitment to listening to our pilots and understanding their challenges, their pains, their woes, and actively working to solve those and make their lives better to understand that, you know, me as somebody that sits in the office and gets to be home with my family every day, I don't understand the same sacrifice. I don't have a perspective on the sacrifice of a guy that's been on the road for eight or nine days and he's away from his family. They're getting up at four in the morning. They're de-icing the aircraft. They're ironing their uniform and they have to do it all with a smile. I mean, that's huge. So when I sit and talk to these pilots that come through indoctrination and we have a class every two weeks of 20 or so pilots that come through. Last year, we hired over 400 pilots the year before. 400 as well. We've got aspirations for 350 or so this year. When I sit and talk to them, I say, every person in this company is dedicated to making your job better. And you can't expect us to know it, but what you can expect and what you can demand of us is that we'll listen Mm -hmm. and we'll try to make it better each and every day. And, And I'm really excited about the result. And by the way, that's a gift to us that we don't take for granted. Our pilots have given us the opportunity or the chance for us to work collectively with them to solve problems without any sort of interference because you can see how it goes south. Like you said, folks, you know, picketing, that that's not who we are culturally as an organization. And it just becomes so, so challenging for um, companies to move past that if they've got that mentality of, you know, people are taking advantage of. We we operate, and Ken has challenged us with this from day one, we operate in a spirit of trust. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, there's a, there's a big, you know, there's a big thing out there right now. Everybody's trying to see what they can get. They said it's all short. It's all very short term thinking. You know, I think there's this window of, um, you know, a lot of demographics are going to say, I'm going to get what I can right now. And, you know, they think it'll be forever more. You know, the airlines already, you know, Amerijet on the cargo side just reorganized. They're giving up some airplanes. So that's um, UPS just said, hey, uh, we encourage a lot of our captains, our, our junior captains to go work for PSA. That happened a couple months ago. You, yeah. you got the Spirit JetBlue merger, which just was, you know, there's a lot of dynamics that could happen in the commercial airline world, which is not necessarily the best mentality to take. So go find a place where you can get quality yeah. of life, get, get a fair job and a quality of, quality of life, right? It is interesting how the the mind frame of the folks entering the workforce now or within the last couple of years is so different than when you and I entered, right? I feel like an old man saying, you know, 30 years, 35 years ago when I first came into the world, but the truth is, is that, you know, there is an immediate satisfaction that some folks look through the window. And I, I got to tell you, when we're doing lifetime analysis between what an individual could make here versus what they can make at the airlines, because let me be clear, that's our competition. Mm-hmm. And we looked at this and we evaluated where we were at in the marketplace Certainly, the folks down in Columbus got a a big workforce and they got a big task ahead of them. But we realized we need to leapfrog them. We really need to compete 
with the big majors out there if we're going to be a career destination. And that means solving everything from quality of life to domiciles to benefits to retirement and to, you know, compensation. Mm -hmm. And when we evaluated it from that lens, it became much different than just competing with the folks in the 135 marketplace. For us, it it is it is more about, like I said, being a career destination and setting ourselves up for success. Mm-hmm. I used to talk to a lot of my friends who are military pilots. And, you know, yeah. Obviously, I was getting the Navy. And they would say, hey, you know, Southwest offered me a job. United offered me a job. I'm like, great. Which one are you going to take? Like, well, I don't know. You know, I'm thinking about why, why are you thinking about United? Well, they'll start me off in a 737 or an A320, but eventually, you know, they got these 747s. I go, I'm like, who cares? The cockpit's a cockpit. I mean, right. it's, you know, you're doing the same star arrival yeah. into LaGuardia or Kennedy or whatever it is. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah, yeah it's just a bigger platform. Well, I think what you guys are offering, though, is you got great metal. Globals, Gulfstreams, Phenoms, Challengers, you know, it's Rifle, Aspen, you know, which, okay, that might be a a blessing or a curse, depending on the the year. Well, it's It's not a a boring job. That's it's it's exactly it. It's a different day. I mean, hey, look, you're flying international. You're going to, you're going to Davos or Milan or wherever you're, you're headed to or Dubai. You know, you can literally wake up on Tuesday and say it's going to be different from Monday. That's a great point because I think it is something that folks take for granted when, you know, they they got these aspirations when they're younger that they want to work in aviation. And it, the great thing about aviation, it's filled with incredibly passionate, committed people, people that finally found a home. They've looked their whole lives to work in something that they love. They love airplanes, but you kind of become a pilot so you can see the world and we actually give them that opportunity as opposed from a, a route from A to B and B to A. Mm-hmm. And it, it is it is a much different environment. It's a very, very challenging job, but the opportunities there to grow and to develop and to be the sharpest and the best in the industry, I mean, it, it really, really for us it is fantastic. And, and we love what we bring. So let me ask you a hard question here. Southwest Airlines is a very challenging interview process. In mm-hmm. fact, um, I was talking to their former head of people and she said one out of every, we hired one out of every 28 pilots. Okay. Okay. Got it. What are you guys looking for? When, when somebody comes to interview at your door, who do you know? Yeah. How do you guys evaluate people who've all got 3000 hours they are all accomplished? Yeah. How do you say this person is right for us? Sure. Well, let, first of all, let me, let me challenge that Southwest number with a little bit, I think a little bit, um, more um, more selective, if you will, just by magnitude. In 2022, we received over 12,000 resumes. Wow. Of those 12,000 resumes, our recruiting team, which is made up of amazing recruiters and best in the industry, I put them up against anybody. They screened initially, whether it be Zoom or phone, a little over 5,000. Wow. Of of those 5,000, now think about that. That's 5,000 aviators out there that are accomplished. They meet the needs on paper. We invited 1,200, give or take, in for interviews. Mm-hmm. And of those 1,200, we hired just a tad under 400. 12,000 wow. to 400. What I can tell you is that the selectiveness of who we are as an organization 
is the bread and butter each and every day of how we continue to grow, how we maintain this environment, the spirit of trust, of culture, of family, and how we continue to meet and exceed our customers' demands. I mean, one of the great things is a lot of our fleets are still sold out. I mean, they're pre-sold out. That shows you from a growth standpoint that we're absolutely doing the right thing. But it goes back to what I had said earlier, which is we spend just as much time, if not more, on the cultural fit as we do in the technical competencies. There's no doubt that our SIM evaluation with our instructor pilots and our trainers is one of the most technically challenging out there. I mean, it's all over the message boards. Everybody knows that it it is very, very challenging for what we require them to do. And Mm -hmm. we've talked before about, you know, should we simplify? And the answer has always been no, we want the best pilots. So technically, most of these folks that come in have been accomplished aviators. They, they know how to fly an airplane. They know how to handle a stick. But can they meet the cultural expectation? And we spend a lot of time. We do a personality assessment that kind of evaluates 27 different categories. We share the results with them as well. We spend an incredible amount of time on integrity, on customer service, on trust, on teamwork, because our environment is so much different than even anybody else in the industry, because most of the time they're on a three-person or a five-person team. Mm-hmm. But even if they're not, they're supporting those folks as, as co-pilots when they first walk in. And then we bring the inter- the panel, they go through a panel interview. It's an all-day thing. And we evaluate them and we sit back and we say, does this person make it? And a lot of times they're just not right for our organization. Mm-hmm. But those that are, we're very, very appropriate in getting them the message. And even those that don't make it, we're very, very responsive. And we don't want people waiting weeks or months to hear the details. I think it's 24 hours that we get back with them after the interview and we let them know. And I would tell you that I say, I guess, again, I sit through these in-doc classes and we talk about communication and the feedback that I get is we are the most responsive organization they've ever worked for. And it's one of the things that I really, really emphasize on our recruitment team and our our recruiting leaders have done an amazing job of really perpetuating that being constantly in communication. I mean, I'll give you an example. When I first started in HR, right after I got out of college, I interviewed with a a light bulb company in Connecticut and I never heard anything back from I still think I'm being considered for that HR There you go. Right, they right, never right. contacted me. They just have a longer process. But I think it's incredibly important in this marketplace, especially to let people know that you're working for a reputable employer that really is mm-hmm. intense on its communication. No, I love it. Um, how many airplanes in your fleet now? We've got... 270 will be over 300 by the end of the year. I think we got wow. plans 40 or 50 this year. And then within the next couple of years, um, closer to 400. So, yeah. Big fleet. Yeah, a lot, of, lot of, lot of growth in the large cabin too. I mean, we're seeing a lot of movement in the, the 650s and, you know, the larger aircraft. Prater's been a great one going on and, you know, Europe is, is taking mm-hmm. off as well. So There's no money in, the, there's no money in this industry and in, in the small and the small stuff. You know, the, you know it, there really isn't. And, you know, this would, if you think back, Craig, you, you remember this, but if you go back to flight options and travel air days, when Traveler, when we bought Traveler, Traveler had a fleet of King Airs. Oh, yeah. I mean, the first thing that we noticed was 
these are not money makers for us. These are not the the planes that we want to participate mm-hmm. in. And I know there's businesses out there that have tried that. And I mean, I think we've seen some of the results not to talk yeah. bad about um, some of the folks, in, but it's just not who we are. We've separated make, ourselves. It's hard to make money with King Airs. I remember, hey, FlexJet, the early days of FlexJet, the Lear 31, you're like, what the hell do we have this thing for? And and, and I, yeah, and they're pushing me to sell it out of LA. You're like, yeah, it can't go anywhere. Nobody right. want, why does anybody want the Lear 31? Because it, it can't go anywhere. Right, right. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. Vegas, nobody's gonna buy a fraction to go from LA to Vegas. And no, uh, no, no. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> not with that many options out there. Yeah. No, so anyway, no, that's that's great here. But yeah, so four hundred, yeah, three hundred to four hundred airplanes. And you guys are vertically integrating now a little bit better with yeah. Constant Aviation. You bought Constant, or you you brought Constant, which was sort yeah. of an ancillary company, into your fold fully. Yeah, we. You know, it, that's that's a great point because I would tell you, but you know, with the pilots are always being a, a work in progress and moving towards that. The one thing that we really committed to in the last couple of years is kind of looking back and saying, okay, if we're going to have 300, 400 aircraft how are we going to support this infrastructure? So we made some strategic acquisitions this year, Constant Aviation being one of them, which was an outside company. It was a sister company, mm-hmm. but it was an outside company. We brought them into the fold, as well as, I, I'm sure you saw the Flying Colors announcement, mm-hmm. that we brought them bringing a great organization yep. into the fold and, and really adding to the infrastructure there. Craig, just by way of you know, kind of understanding the magnitude of that, we took near a million dollars of labor, or I'm sorry, a million hours of labor out of the commercial market, out of the market that mm-hmm. was external, the retail maintenance, if you will. And we brought all of that in-house to kind of handle our fleet and handle the growth that we have there. We've got multiple locations. We have 10 maintenance locations. I think we have 24 AOG locations located throughout the United States. Uh, You know, for us, it's just a matter of how are you going to maintain your fleet? With this, we can do 100% of scheduled maintenance in-house. And we can get to in the high, high 90s of unscheduled maintenance. You're going to have that once in a blue moon, something that happens in Boise, Idaho, and maybe mm-hmm. you can't get a, an AOG team out there in enough time. But the reality is, is the things that we can do in-house are just amazing. And they're, they've they got a great leadership team over there being led by Jay Hublein, who I know you know Jay. Mm-hmm. He's an amazing leader. He's done a wonderful job, led Next in sales, led FlexJet sales, um, was the chief of staff for Ken for a number of years, took on the role as president of maintenance. And it's just done a wonderful, wonderful job of bringing these cultures together. And again, the same spirit that when we look at acquisitions, the same spirit that we look when we bring employees on is centered around, can they fit with us culturally? There's Mm -hmm. deals that come across Ken's table each and every day. And he looks at the workforce and he's like, nah, culturally, that's not who we are as an organization. So we're real proud and real excited about about those folks being part of the team. Is the OEM supporting your parts or are you guys doing third-party deals and things of the sort? What? Uh... Well, look, I mean, the OEM, obviously, having a partnership with the OEMs are really, really important. There, you, you and I both know there's some supply chain challenges with some of them. Um, so we're doing, we're doing what we can to keep our, our fleet in the air. 
And we've got good partnerships with OEMs. Some of those um, have yet to be announced here in, in kind of major scale. But I think you'll be surprised at some of the things that are coming out with our big partnerships. And uh, I think you'd be pleased with it if you were sitting on, on the Yeah, end. no, I'm, I'm I'm sure I would. Look, I saw the constant aviation thing. And that's smart. Yeah, I think about a million hours. And there's already a shortage of right. people out there right now. Hangers, yeah, hangers MRO. Um, there's just not enough capacity for the industry right now. Well, it kind of becomes an economies of scale, right? I mean, if you don't have if you don't have the infrastructure to support your fleet, then you're going to be struggling with that. If you don't have the fleet to support the customer demand, you're going to be struggling with that. It's like you can't really enter this business with you know five or six aircraft. You have to have a fleet, right. and you have to have something that's distinct. And we've continued to do that with our red label and our branding. And and you know, we I think you know this, but we had a press release on our cabin server academy over in london and working with i mean we're just I, I to me it's it's the most exciting time to be in aviation i gotta tell you i think yeah no it, it definitely is a lot, there's a lot going on for sure and and yeah everybody keeps worrying about well when's the other shoe going to drop in business aviation and i don't think it's gonna anytime soon i think we're seeing some you know you're seeing some uh some normal trends back to yep. like owner demand the spikes of the Revenge traveling are kind of gone, but we still see spikes in it, and our business just continues to grow. And and it's, I think, I think the great thing that COVID did was it it did a couple of things. One is it gave organizations like us a chance to really show their character and show who they are. And I'm incredibly proud at one of our finest moments was how we handled COVID internally, creating a fleet, getting our pilots safely from point A to point B. We didn't have any furloughs. We didn't have any layoffs. Our employees voluntarily took a pay reduction for about six weeks. We had 86% participation in that. Within six weeks, we stopped it, we paid it back, and we gave everybody a bonus. But that shows you culturally who we are as an organization. So it gave you that, but it also gave the experience of flying private to individuals that could afford it before but were reluctant to do it. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, you know as well as I do, it's got to be the most addicting thing out there. Once you fly private, uh, it, there's uh no comparison. I laugh, you know, you know, I speak to some of the, you know, corporate jet investors or something. And my answer is 10 million bucks. And, and I look at all your salespeople, I go 10 million bucks. Yeah. If you find everybody in your territory with a net worth of 10 million bucks, you should be selling them something because that person can afford a jet card or can afford some charter yeah. or can afford some fraction. Yeah. A fraction. You know, that's the magic number. And it's right. you know, and there's a right, lot right. of people in this country with ten yeah. million bucks. It's yeah, like, I, I, I would, I'll, I'll pass that along to our sales department. I know they got a couple other qualifiers. Yeah, look, my, I've been trying to talk to my workout partner. I'm like, why don't you have a card? He got stuck in, he got stuck in New York for three days. Like, well, why don't Ugh. you have a card? I, yeah, he couldn't figure out a good excuse. And the answer is, is you know, he, he could easily afford a card. Yeah, should have a card or should have some asset or should have some access to charter. But right. nobody's touched. Nobody's talked to him about it. Nobody's touched him. And it's like, he's like, who do I talk to? Well, I, I, you know, that's a great point. And look, I can give you an example just personally. I don't fly private often, but on the chance that I do, I love it. I came back from an international trip in Ireland. I get into Boston. I got a connection. 
my flight gets canceled to Boston there or from Boston to Cleveland. There's a huge line. I got to get back for a meeting. I call up our ops folks. They were able to get me out of there within 45 minutes. I mean, and, and much different than, and I saw the line of folks that were waiting. They were going to be there for, you know, a couple of days. That's the way I see a corporate America, mid America, yeah, Iowa, Ohio, some of these these companies yeah. where I you know, I just see the way I look at business aviation, it ranges from a Cirrus SR22 that a guy may buy to support his business to uh, to a, a Global Express or a G650. And people are now willing to say, all right, look, after tax, it's really not that much money and the yeah. gain I get. So I, I look at where we're at from a, from an industry and I see this trending upward to the right. You sell safety, you sell time. I mean, all of those things are... Are, are benefits of, of flying private that most people either take for granted or, or don't look at from that lens. But you know, you and I both know as well as, and, and, you know, this is one of the arguments for, for a, a pilot wanting to fly business aviation versus wanting to fly commercial. Do you really want to spend the next 20 years of your life in an airport terminal? Oh, how horrible is that? Or, you know, do you want to see the world? And like you said, be warm today. You could go skiing tomorrow. We got pilots. We have an internal program that we use where we communicate. We got one pilot out there. He's an avid fisherman. So he brings, he's always showing pictures of big fish that he catches no matter where he stops. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a neat, neat, neat place. So it's, it's a good stuff. What's got you most excited about, you know, the next 12 months? I mean, obviously nothing proprietary here, but what's got yeah. you really excited about, you know, moving forward? Well, look, I think I, I, there's a couple of things. Um, one is, you know, we put a new headquarters in this year, which we'd still love to have you out to I see. I got to get up there. $50 million. What an amazing place this is, our global headquarters, our uh, operations all throughout the world. So the expansion in Europe is very, very exciting. And being able to see that, certainly the workforce itself and really being able to solidify ourselves as the, the destination of choice when it comes to careers We've got our first phase of the compensation in place for our pilots, but phase two is right around the corner for lifetime earnings for our pilots that have been with us for, you know, we've got figured out the first three years, but, you know, year four and beyond, how do we capture that second bullet of retention and keeping those? So I'm really excited about that and to see the importance behind that and then the growth of maintenance. But I'll tell you, me personally, what I'm most excited about is the HR team and their ability to influence all of those important things and really tap into that next level of talent that's out there. We're doing some great things from an apprenticeship program to internships, um, really giving folks an opportunity to see who we are as an organization. Because guys like me that are gray and older, we're not going to be around forever. We we want that next level leader. So we're really, really excited about that. And look, if you've ever, and you know this personally, but if you've ever been around Ken and his vision, I mean, he is just nonstop. It is always something that's just fun and engaging. There is never a dull moment. I've never gone into the office and be like, oh, time to make the donuts again. That's just not who we are. That's been a big part, part of your success. And actually, thanks for bringing that up. You know, Ken Rickey, you, Mike Silvestro, Jay Hubline, Andrew Collins. You guys have all been around each other a long time. You know, between the five of you, and I'm sure there's a couple other key players in there who I didn't mention. But I got to think that you guys are so comfortable working with each other that how does that longevity 
in on the management team bring confidence that you know, how does that how does that, yeah. that affect the whole company you know well look i i think i think it's important to point out that while we do have that continued relationship it gives you an opportunity to kind of get away from traditionally what would be corporate politics we don't play any of that that's not who we are as an organization there's not infighting or power positions by any means we're all focused on the same thing we're all rowing in the same direction but what it does what ken does create is an environment of creativity and he allows all the senior leaders in the organization to challenge each other, to really look at the lens differently. So if flight is talking about something that's important, I have a chance where I can have a voice in that. And the same thing with them and as it relates to HR. So he creates an environment of inclusion. And it's not just at the senior level, it's beyond that. I mean, we have an open door policy and you gotta imagine, like it's not just a, it's not just a tongue-in-cheek open-door policy. I mean, it is a true open-door policy. Anybody can email Ken at any point in time, and he answers those emails. So imagine mm-hmm. a 4,000-employee network, and the chairman of the board is, hey, takes enough time to say, thank you for your thank you for your question. Let me look into it. And, you know, mm-hmm. we're all working hard to get there. You don't, you don't build that overnight, and you don't lose it unless – you try hard to, and we're mm-hmm. all working incredibly hard to maintain that culture because we recognize being in the environment that we were when we came back, we recognize how fragile that is. And if you don't focus on the right things, it can get away from you, as you see in some of the other companies out there. And once you lose, once I, I don't know how you come back from some of those things that they're saying about each other. I really don't. Uh, well, look, a lack of stability in the C-suite sort of yeah. shows is an indicator of the business in the whole. Yeah. I mean, you and, said perfectly. Sylvester is the longest tenured CEO in the industry. Andrew Collins, co-CEO, has been with us, I think, almost 20 years as well. Yeah. I mean, he's been in the industry the same amount. Those two are, they're joined at the him. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. And obviously, Ken's been there for, you know, oh. um, you know, 30 plus years. Oh, my God. And he's still, he's still as spry as ever. <laughs> <laughs> At what point do you guys say, hey, enough of the growth? I mean, obviously, you get to a point where you're like, hey, look, we're, we, we've grown as big as we want to be. Yeah. Let's focus on excellence. World dominance is really not our sure. goal. Where, well, is, there a point where you, is there a point where you say, hey, look, you know, our fleet's big enough. You know, yeah. Let's, yeah. You know, let's um, hold off. Well, look, I, th- I think there's a couple of things that drive that, but let me be clear about that. World dominance is not our, that's not our, our goal. Our goal is to be the best. Mm-hmm. And we're incredibly selective about our growth. In fact, we've tempered our growth over the last couple of years just to maintain that exclusivity, maintain that ability to meet the customer's expectations and exceed it, as well as our employees. We could have, you know, done it a dozen more acquisitions that would have put us in that spot, but it wouldn't fit with who we are as an organization. I don't know if you ever get to the spot that enough is enough, but I I can tell you this with all the benchmarks and milestones that we have for growth, we're not anywhere near that. Mm -hmm. And the demand is not telling us that either. But we're very, very selective on how we grow, and it's very controlled. We're incredible stewards of the balance sheet. We do not put ourselves in a position because when you 
put yourself in a position where you risk, where you have risk in there or more risk than opportunity, you start to make crazy decisions. And that's not who we are as an organization. Absolutely. No, I hear you. And uh, hey, look, last uh, last question. I know you're a busy guy, but we'll go one more thing. You all have big plans for Europe. And Europe is very high on does the, you know, you're, you're bucking a little bit of a trend there. Some people are scared of Europe just because the, you know, kind of the political yeah. environment, the environmental environment, you know, just you're not, that's not scaring you off. It's not. And, and what we see is opportunities for controlled growth as well. But the interesting thing that we've seen is we've seen an incredible amount of demand from our U.S.-based customers to fly intra-Europe. And that has kind of helped us build the momentum that we've seen over there with the growth of the fleet. We've got some wonderful leaders over there, very seasoned, very experienced. And we've got some additions to that you'll see in the next, you know, six, eight months that I think you'll be excited about. But look, we are, we're trend makers, not a trend followers by any means. And that's always been the mantra. And that's why it's never been a dull moment. I love it. That's great. Hey, Bob, thanks for coming on today. Enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks, Craig. Great talking to you. So Bob Sullivan with One Sky Aviation. Appreciate you coming on. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com, or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pickett.